We're gonna talk about what happened in Thessalonica, and we're in part two, and I wanna talk to you on the subject of signs of a true church. Signs of a true church. If you don't have paper notes and you were watching by video on YouTube, go to waterchurch.guide, it looks like that. And then if you click on today's message, it will look like that. And then you can fill out the blanks, you can fill in the blanks digitally on your smartphone as well. So, signs of a true church. Last week we talked about, as we started this series, what happened in Thessalonica, and the reason why it's titled that, that title, what happened in Thessalonica, is because something miraculous happened. A church was born in three weeks, remember? Three weeks, a church was born, Paul the Apostle, goes all to these cities around the Mediterranean, the Roman world, and the Roman Empire. He's preaching in one city, chased out of that city, preaches in another city, chased out of that city. One of the cities that he was chased out of was Thessalonica, but it was a little bit worse than any other city because the people who chased him out of Thessalonica followed him to the next city and chased him out of that city too. And he goes through five straight cities of being just chased for preaching the gospel of Jesus. How many know, again, you can be hated for doing what God wants you to do. Not everything is gonna be easy in faith. In fact, many times it's gonna be the exact opposite of easy. So he hears later on from Timothy and Silas, his companions, who went back to Thessalonica and checked on them, that things were great. The church had taken root. Things were, the church was growing. People were, were, were loving the Lord, loving each other, and in spite of their hostility, in spite of the cultural hostility, the Thessalonican church was growing tremendously. And we talked about last week that the blessing of your life in Christ is not that you are going to heaven only, but that you are in the church now. We are in the church. We are in God. We are in Christ. And that is who we are. So then he unpacks for the next couple of verses in chapter one, which we will read in just a moment, the reasons why he's excited for them. What about this church makes them such a great church? And the important question we have to ask ourselves today is this. What is a great church? We have our ideas. We think a great church has amazing music, a great preacher, awesome kids ministry, a fancy building, maybe if you're modern, lights, smoke, cameras, all those things, and you can have all those things, ladies and gentlemen, and still not have Jesus showing up at your building. We wanna be a church that maybe we have all those things too, but more importantly that Jesus is doing something in people's lives. Can I get a good amen right there? That's the kind of church we wanna be. So let's take a look at the rest of chapter one. I know last week we covered a lot of ground. We went through one verse. <laughs> but this week we're gonna go through the rest of chapter one. Would you stand with me at all locations? Chapter one of 1 Thessalonians, picking up where we left off, verse two. Here's what Paul says. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly remembering you in our prayers, remembering before God our Father your work of faith, your labor of love, and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, this is why we're thankful. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Then he says, you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake and you became imitators of us and of the Lord uh, by when you received the word in much affliction 
with the joy of the Holy Spirit so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has come forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us but the, the kind of uh, meeting that greeting, sorry, the reception that you had among that we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he has raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. And this is God's word. Would you pray with me for a few moments? Father, thank you that we have an opportunity to hear your voice today. And I pray that that is exactly what we do. I pray for the Holy Spirit to have his way to speak. Lord, that our ears are open, that our minds are open and, and renewed, and that our hearts are receptive like good soil that receives the good word from Jesus. Help us to see him, him and him only. In his mighty name we pray. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. God bless you at all locations. Have a seat. Uh, this is a story that I think resonates better with preachers than with Hello. They can't see me if you can't see me, so let's get that fixed real quick here. There we go, hello again. <laughs> okay, this is a story that resonates really well with uh, preachers, maybe, maybe with people in the pew, but I wanna share it anyway. It's a bit funny, I, I don't know. We'll, we'll see if it's funny. There was a guy who was shipwrecked on a deserted island. He was all alone. He happened to be a carpenter, and with no sign of rescue in sight, he decided to go to work building things because that's what he does for a living. So he built a house, beautiful five-bedroom, four-bath house on the deserted island. And then he went to work further than that. He built himself a big garage for the house. He built himself a shed. Then he got kind of bored a little bit more and realized no rescue was coming, so he decided to build himself a whole town. He built a town hall. He built a civic center. He built an auditorium. He built a church. He built a gymnasium. He built a park. Time just moved for decades. This guy was building on this island all by himself, drinking coconuts, eating fish, just like Tom Hanks in Castaway. <laughs> Finally, rescuers arrive on the island, and they show up, and they see that this guy has been building like crazy. So like, you know what, before we take you off the island, why don't you show us around? So he does. He's proud of his building, and he goes all over the island and shows the rescues. This is the town hall. This is the civic center. This is the auditorium. Over here is the park. Over here is the church that I attend. Over here is my house, my garage, everything like that. And, and they were just floored by this guy's project, and they said, you know what? This is amazing. This is a glorious, a glorious project that you have done on this island, but we noticed something. He said, what? He goes, well, you got one house. You got one town hall, one civic center, but we noticed that you got this church over here. It looks nice, beautiful, nice church. You just said you go to, but over there on that other side of the island, on the far side, there's a little church, a little, little dilapidated little old building. It looks like church. What is up with that church? He goes, oh, oh, that's the church I used to go to. <laughs> See, you know, church people don't like that mess, that joke. Preachers love that joke because we know that's what happens. People move from church to church to church, and we get it. Sometimes you gotta find yourself a new church. But sometimes you gotta stay with the church when the church is preaching the gospel and you gotta understand what you should look for in a church. How many people make terrible mistakes with what they look for in a marriage partner? Oh, I want them to be beautiful, I want them to be hot, I want them to be you know, talented, I want them to be popular and then, and then you realize that you marry them and it's not the right fit. Well, what should you look for in a church? Sometimes we can find the right church and not realize, you can find the wrong church and not realize it's the wrong church until decades later realize that you spent a whole bunch of time in the wrong church. What is a true 
Church, good question, important topic. And I think that it comes down to one very simple idea. A good church is filled with people who are genuinely saved. Genuinely saved. Genuinely saved, amen? Like they love Jesus, they love each other. And they're not, keyword here, fake. Somebody say fake. How many of you have met a couple of fake Christians? Anybody know what I'm talking about? These people, they look the part, but they don't act the part. They don't look the real deal. I remember when I found out that the wrestling on Channel 38 on Saturday morning was not real. What a sad day. I was 35 years old. I could not believe it. Hulk Hogan was an actor. How many know these names, by the way? Let me see if I got any Gen Xers in the crowd. Gen X men. <laughs> Women too, maybe. I don't know. But it was really more our thing. Anyway, how many remember these names? Randy Macho. Man, oh, you know that name. Yep, yep. Jimmy Superfly. There you go. Uh, <laughs> Rowdy Roddy. Ah, yeah, and this one's an easy one. Andre. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, old school saints in the house today. Amen. And, and Hulk Hogan. So I named five guys. And I remember they were all oiled up on Saturday. All oiled up. But they were actors. They looked the part, but they weren't really wrestling. I remember when somebody said, oh, you want to watch real wrestling? Watch the Olympics. I remember the first time I saw it, I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Where's the oil? Where's the muscles? And why are they wearing more than just a Speedo? I wanna know what's going on here, <laughs> right? And, and, and I thought about this too. You know, I mentioned five guys, four of those guys are dead. Uh, turns out doing steroids and partying like crazy isn't good for you. <laughs> but I thought about this, maybe fake isn't good for you. Maybe playing a part and acting a certain way in public, but being a certain, another way in private is actually a very terrible way, unhealthy way to live. And there's a lot of Christians that do that. There's a lot of churches that do that. What does Paul say first about the Thessalonians that makes them genuine? Look at this in verse four and five. Don't miss this point. He always talks about this when he mentions churches, but he says this. We know brothers loved by God that he has what? Chosen you. If you've got paper notes out, every location, underline chosen and you. Underline both those words, and why don't you just go ahead and get fancy and circle the word chosen? Because we need to understand that that is who we are if we are Christians. We are chosen by God. You did not choose him. He chose you. You say, well, how do I know if I'm chosen? Okay, here's a simple point. Here's a simple answer to that question. Do you know, without a doubt, that Jesus Christ loves you, died for you, and rose again on the third day? And have you, have you put that inside of you? Like, you know that is, it, that is what you believe fully. If that's the case, he has chosen you. Now, the point is not to earn that chosenness. The point is to live like it. Amen, somebody. Live as a chosen child of the Most High God. And this theme of chosen, oh man, I know it drives a lot of Christians crazy. Like, I don't know if that's fair, and I don't get it, and I don't understand it. We're not supposed to get it. We're just supposed to believe it. We're not supposed to get the Trinity. We're just supposed to believe the Trinity. Okay, we're not, we're not supposed to get how a, the blood of a Nazarene carpenter 2,000 years ago sheds on a cross for, for us, washes away our sins. We're just supposed to believe that. 
There's a lot of mystery to our faith. One of the mysteries is, are we responsible for our actions or does God sovereignly choose us? The answer is yes. Somehow in the mystery of the Godhead, somehow in the mystery of heaven, those two facts work together. I don't know how to explain it, I just know I gotta believe it. And here's the point, what we believe shapes how we live. Do you believe you are chosen? Because if that is the case, it changes everything about you. It changes how you feel about yourself. And it is one of the main themes of the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. I got some verses to share that with you, to, to, to point that out with you. John chapter 15, Jesus is at the Last Supper with the disciples. In verse 16, what does he say? He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. You, Peter, James, John, you guys, listen, you didn't choose to follow me. I called you and you followed me. There was something effective in my work toward you that made you believe in me and follow me. And for some of you and many of you, I hope many of you, and I hope by the end of this message, all of you, that there's going to be a point in your life where, where God speaks in such a way, he opens your heart, Jesus comes in, and you are changed into you that's the effectual, Bible, Bible scholars call it, the effectual calling of God. Three verses later in John 15, what does he say? If you were of the world, verse 19, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I, what? I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. In other words, Christians, if you're gonna be chosen by God, if you are chosen by God, you're gonna be uncomfortable sometimes in the relationships that you have with people outside of God. Peter got that message, by the way, at the Last Supper because in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, when writing to the church, he says, you are a what? A chosen race. That's who you are if you're a Christian. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. I'll just run this down because these are great titles for you and for me. A holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Ephesians chapter one, verse four, I love this one. It says, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Ladies and gentlemen, if you are a Christian, God had you on his mind before he said, let there be light. He knew you before you were born. You are not an accident. You did not get yourself saved. God sovereignly and divinely saved you from who you were. This is Old Testament too. Old Testament talks about the people of Israel being chosen and God says in Deuteronomy 7, 7, uh, I didn't choose you because you were rich or because you were big. I chose you actually because I'm just gonna choose you. That's who I am. I make the decision. Psalm 4, verse 3 says, Know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. Who set me apart? The Lord. The Lord made me his child. The Lord made you his daughter, his son, whatever you are. That is how you are saved. And that is what, what Paul is talking about to a church that is suffering great hostility from this community around it. It is hated on all sides by many different kinds of people, but they are, they are sovereignly saved by God. They know they're different, and he's reminding them of all the things that, that, comes, that comes with that. What does a true church look like? So three points, and then we're done. I want you to write them down. Signs of a true church, number one, visible and outward action. Visible an outward action. You don't just believe it, you do it. James talks about this big time. He says, look, faith without works is what? It's dead. He says, oh, you show me your faith. I'll show you my faith by what I do. There is an outward activity that accompanies an inward reality. 
And my faith is not just something personal that I have inside of me for when things are bad. No, my faith is outwardly active to other people around me. People see it, people notice it because it blesses other people and there's action to my belief. And Paul, so Paul says this, look what he says in verse two. He says, we give thanks to God always for you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father three things, your work of faith. Somebody say work of faith. Number two, labor of love, say it. And then number three, steadfastness of hope, say it. Yeah, work of faith. So there's an action that is rooted in faith. That, that's, a, that's a sign of a true church. A true church has open arms to people who need Jesus. A true church works to make Jesus known. That's why I'm always bugging you about serving here in the building because I think, and this is, you know, this is not the only place you serve, but I think the easiest place to start practicing your faith in ways that help other people is by serving in your local church to make other people outside the church feel welcome. It's one of the easiest ways you can do it. And almost anybody can do it. If you have arms, if you have elbows that work, you can be a parking attendant, watch. You know what I'm saying? If you have hands that shake, you can be a greeter. Okay, oh, by the way, accompany it with a smile. Like, welcome to our church. No. Welcome. Good to see you. I mean, that's serving. It's something small. It's not big. It's not huge. It's not, you're not shaking the earth. But you might make someone feel comfortable in our church. You might make someone feel welcome that needs God to save them, that needs hope in their heart. And that's a simple way. But beyond beyond just this weekend and just the services at our church. That's just like a primer. That's like preschool level serving. They're serving outside of this building. There's being a person that other people can rely on in the workplace to love them and serve them in practical ways. Someone at your workplace is going through a hardship. You're the one writing a card, sending it to them in the mail. Someone's going through a financial difficulty. You're the one buying them lunch. You're the one showing this world that Christians are not hateful bigots. Christians are loving disciples of Jesus Christ. Amen. Outward action. How will they ever know what we are if we don't show them who Jesus is through what we do? And the church has plenty of actors and posers, plenty of Hulk Hogan believers who are ripping off their tank top. Ah. And it's not real. The church needs to get real with real action outside of the church so that when they see us, they may not like what we believe, but they cannot deny that we are a blessing to the community in which we live. See, you gotta understand something. The salvation and works deal is together. The salvation and works thing deal comes together. But how they relate to each other is what's most important. I want you to write it down so you're getting it. You don't have salvation because of works, but you have a salvation that works. You, you don't have a faith in Jesus because you've worked for it. No, he called you and chose you. We've discussed that. But when that's real, there's gonna be works. There's gonna be action. At every location right now, everybody at every location, you are sitting in a chair. The reason why you are sitting in that chair is because you believe that that chair has the capacity to hold you. Your faith in the chair produces the action of sitting. 
So if you believe, and this is a very important point, if you believe that Jesus Christ is always going to provide for you, do you freely give? Do you freely bring the tithes? Do you freely offer money to, to missions, to works of service? Do you, are you generous? Because you know he's generous. So, so here's the deal. If you know you are forgiven, and you know you are forgiven of the worst things you could have ever done or ever did do, do you then offer forgiveness to those around you? Because to the level that you believe that you're forgiven, you'll become a forgiver. Do you know that you are loved by God and he will never, ever stop loving you? Because to the level that you believe that is to the level that you will stop chasing all the loves of the people around you and truly love them sacrificially and selflessly because you know it's not about them loving you. You've already got your love from God the Father and that's more than enough. Salvation works. Martin Luther said it like this, just as you cannot separate heat from fire, you cannot separate works from salvation. So if there's fire, there's gonna be what? I just said it. You could have shouted that back a little bit better. than. If there's fire, there's gonna be? There you go. And if there's salvation, there's gonna be? Works. There's gonna be activity that people see, and that's what Paul is excited about. He says, we see your work of faith. We see your labor of love. We see these things in you. This is what we've heard about you. It's not about, it's not about, your look, it's not about your presentation, it's not about you know, the style, it's, that's, and, 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 and let me just be very clear here. I know that our church is a certain style, but you understand that God loves all different kinds of styles of different kinds of churches. God loves churches with pews and seats. God loves churches with pastors that got robes and pastors that wear a bomber jacket. I happen to think he likes the bomber jackets better, but that's just my opinion. That's not, that's not gospel truth. God, God loves people who believe uh, certain things about, I don't know, the end times that you don't believe. God loves all different kinds of churches. So it's not really about the style, it's about the service. Do people see us giving ourselves to them? Here's the enemy of service right now. I'm just gonna tell you, and I, I, it's something that I struggle with in my own life. This is an enemy of service right here. This is, oh, that's a camera. Uh, this is an enemy of service because we are the iPhone, I, I, me generation. Now I want to help you because I am in the helping people business. I like to learn these things and I like to share them with you because I think it'll help you. I've heard of something called text neck. Text neck. Neck. The human head weighs 10 pounds on average. Mine weighs a little bit more because I got a big head physically. Um, and if you bend your neck, science has found this out. If you bend your neck one, you bend your head down one inch, for every inch you are adding 10 pounds of stress to your neck. Did you know that? Do you know what's adding the most stress to our lives right now? This thing, physical stress. Because on average, we will bend our, our head down five inches to look at our phones. Have you seen that everywhere you go, this is where people are doing now? My word, what did we used to do at the airport when we didn't have an iPhone? What did we used to do at the doctor's office? We used to read magazines. We used to maybe talk to somebody. But now it's everything. And so there's, let me put this graphic up just so you can see it. And, and, and this is just an illustration. Your, your neck gains pressure, up to 50 pounds of pressure on your neck that will ultimately cause stress and all kinds of back pain. They're, they're already finding this out. And, and the younger you are, the earlier that you learn this, the better. Because if you don't stop with the text, neck, nonsense, you're gonna grow up to be the hunchback of Notre Dame. 
It's gonna be an entire generation of people. Hi, how you doing? I can't see your face. Good to see you. How you doing? Send me a text. I'll talk to you that way. That's our generation. That's where we're going. Because it's I, I, I. And it's just kind of another physical illustration of if you're focused on only you, you get pained by it. You suffer for it. You're not meant to live that way. And for the love of Jesus, please, if you're not gonna serve in the building, please, if you're calling yourself a Christian, serve someone outside the building. Amen. Like, I know some of you are like, oh, this is just a ploy to get us to do something at the church. I get it. Some of you are very, you know, skeptical of preachers. Okay, fine. Don't serve in the church, but will you serve someone outside the church? Will you give yourself? Like, if you're going to call yourself a Christian, who other than you is benefiting from the faith that God has given you? That is what it means to be a true church. And that's what I want in our church. That's what the kind of church that I want to go to. By the way, they're the only kind of churches worth going to because they're the churches where you get blessed by others and you realize that you're there to bless others. And when everybody's in the business of blessing others, no one's got time to be cursing others. Ooh, amen. Sign number two, write this down. Verified faith on the testimony of others. All the points begin with V. <laughs> v for victory. Okay, signs of a true church. Verified faith on the testimony of of others. In other words, people are talking about it. That's what Paul acknowledges here about the Thessalonians. He says, you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Let's stop there. We'll get to where he talks about other people talking about them. But it just says that they became imitators of Paul. So, so here's an important point for many of the younger Christians in our churches. Listen, you probably need a Paul and I'm not talking about the guy that wrote the Bible. I'm talking about somebody in your life that's a little bit further down the line in the faith. That's got a little bit more resume behind them of following Jesus. You, what I'm saying is you need an example. You need somebody that you can look to and say, wow, they really trust Christ. L let me ask you right now to think for a second, do you have one? Do you have somebody that inspires your faith? That's what Paul says here. You became imitators of us. In 1 Corinthians 11, he says, Follow me as I follow Christ. Become an imitator of me as I imitate Christ. Who is your Paul? Who is your exemplar of the faith? You need one. Everybody needs one. But then we become Pauls to other people. We become examples to other people. That's how it happens. Here's what he says in verse seven. So that you became an example. So, so listen to the, how he says. You followed our example. Then you became an example. You got it? You followed how we lived, now you are living as we lived so that other people can see it. You became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. And by the way, Macedonia is the nation, Achaia is the region. And then he says this, for not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth, where? Everywhere. So that we not need say a thing. See, there's two kinds of Christians, the people who need to tell people they're Christians and the people who don't need to tell people they're Christians. And I find that the people who need to constantly tell people they're Christians are sometimes the least Christian. Right? I'm not, I am a Christian. Well, it doesn't, doesn't look like it. That's news to me. I didn't know that. And so true Christianity, true church, they don't need to say it. They, they, they don't need to broadcast it. It's just it's something that they just they emulate. They, they just exude the love of Christ. And, and, and the only way that this grows in your life is you've got to have a Paul and I think you gotta aim to have a Timothy. So Paul, 
led Timothy. Timothy was Paul's disciple. Timothy was, he called him his true son. So my question to everybody in the, every location, who's your Paul, who's your Timothy? Who's your Paul and who's your Timothy? Here, write this down so I know you're getting it. Genuine Christianity emulates Christ in others and sets an example for Christ for others. Now the transition that a lot of Christians never make and it's probably not their fault, they've just never been asked to make this transition, is at some point you stop coming to church for yourself and you start coming to church for others. At some point you stop being the church for yourself and you start being the church for others. There's a transition. It's, I call it that, <laughs> this is a bad time to bring up this example, but you remember that Christmas in your life uh, I know Christmas is like three months ago. We don't want to talk about it. But that Christmas is the Christmas that you learned that you are no longer going to get presents. Anybody remember that one? <laughs> I haven't gotten presents for years. I'm just telling you, okay? You, you, you are now, you, you, you used to believe in Santa Claus and then you became Santa Claus. Now you know what I'm talking about? All right, so in Christianity, there comes a point where it's no longer, well, what is the church doing for me? Now it's how am I as the church doing stuff for other people? Have you had that experience yet? That's what he's saying here. That's what true Christianity, that's what a true church looks like. How does this happen, um, how does this happen in reality at Waters Church? Small, small groups, life groups, action groups, e-groups, where, where you have people that you can emulate and then people that you can be an example for. That's the only place it can happen. It can't happen now while you're sitting facing me. It happens in conversations and in relationships. And, and, and sometimes when you start setting an example and you start living the faith and people start noticing it, sometimes people will notice it in a way that's not nice. They'll actually attack you for it. Nothing new. Actually, it's been 2,000 years and running. People have been attacked for being followers of Jesus. Here's what Peter says, 1 Peter 4, 3. He says, for the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles do. In other words, you've uh, you, enough <laughs> living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, lawless idolatry. By the way, the first century church was messed up too. I mean, Peter's literally saying, okay, enough orgies <laughs> to Christians. <laughs> He's like, enough debauchery, enough sensual. If you're gonna follow Christ, get out of that stuff. That's no longer appropriate for you. Then he says, with respect to this, what does he say? They are surprised that you don't join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. There's gonna be people who don't like the fact that you're done with that stuff. They're gonna attack you, vilify you. But they have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living, the living and the dead. So, so here's how this can work out practically. We have a guy down here in Apollo Beach on staff and he was saved in our church in North Attleboro about five years ago. Put his hand up, gave his life to Jesus Christ, changed. Had a lot of work to do, still has a lot of work to do. He'll be the first to confess it. But he told me this story a couple of weeks ago that he used to be the guy who would malign the Christian at his job. He, knew to, he says, you know, I, this guy would bring his Bible to lunch and he would open his Bible and he would read his Bible at lunch or on break and I used to make fun of him and I'd say, hey, this isn't a church, this is work, put that thing away, uh, don't be a Jesus freak, who do you think you are? And, 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 and wouldn't you know that about 10 or so years later, he gets saved, he's part of our church, baptized, born again, follower of Jesus, and now he's the one toting his Bible around. 
And, and so he called the guy that he used to make fun of at work because he saw his number. He said, you know, hey, I'm just letting you know. Uh, you know how you used to believe in Jesus? Well, I believe in him now. And his friend said, well, I knew God would get you. <laughs> Here's the point. Here's the point for you. They might malign you in 2023, but they might be calling you in 2033. Did you just hear that? That's good preaching right there. That, that, that's good preaching. They might hate you today, but you might get a call in the future. A little simplified there for you, okay? That you never know. You might have to face the heat for being a believer, but you're still an example even if they don't like it. And they may, they may make that phone call. I would love that phone call someday. In my, well, I never was a maligner of Christianity, but you know what I'm saying? It'd be awesome to see that happening. That's the point. You're, there's, there's verbal attestation to your faith in the lives of others. Okay, number three, signs of a true church. Vertically focused, not horizontally obsessed. Vertically focused, not horizontally obsessed. What does this world do? It tries to get you horizontally obsessed. Are obsessed. Our world pulls you in all kinds of directions. Here you go. You gotta go well, worry about this now over here. Oh, now you gotta run over here and worry about that too. Oh, and by the way, you gotta run over here and worry about that too. And, oh, and, run about, and worry about that person. Worry about this person. Oh, and then by the way, in case you are not seeing things physically in front of you, let's give you social media so that you can compare yourself to people who are not even close to you. Horizontally obsessed. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 90 says this. For they themselves report concerning the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God Next two words, everybody, from idols. You turned to God, what? From idols. To serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who saves us from the wrath that is to come. What is an idol, by the way? Let's write this down. What is an idol? An idol is an object or person of trust that undermines your trust in God. Now, yes, drugs can be an idol. Mm -hmm. um, alcohol can be an idol. Sex, fame, money can all be idols. And we, we treat them with trust when we define ourselves by them. Oh, if I have that, I will be somebody. Oh, if I have this, I will feel finally confident of who I am. Oh, if I get that, or if I have this, or I... And, and, and those things can be... And some of us, uh, the um, drug addicts and, and alcoholics and, and addiction addict people, substance addict people, you go to the thing because the thing gives you peace from the stresses in your life. When, when God is the one who wants to be your peace. The scripture says he is our peace. He's the one who comes in and brings peace here so that we don't have to stress out with everything around us here. Okay, but can I tell you that as much as those are obvious idols, all the big ones, you know, the big sins, the Sunday school sins, <laughs> There are other idols that we kind of ignore in the church. Your children can be an idol. You want them to be a certain way, a certain look, a certain style, a certain life. I don't know. You want them to validate your parental authority, validate who you are. Before you know it, you're running everywhere to make your, your children successful and all these things that were you should have been successful in. Before you know it, they are becoming something that you are proving yourself to through. A spouse can become an idol. A spouse can become an idol, especially when the spouse doesn't believe in Christ and you do. And so you make them happy by not, not going too far with your faith, not being at church too often. That's because, that's because they are more your trust than God is your trust. A, a house can be an idol. 
A certain kind of lifestyle can be an idol. You gotta watch out because those things are all temporary. And, and here's the thing about getting things in life to think that they substantiate your life. <laughs> they don't typically substantiate, they just enslave. They don't substantiate, they don't make you valuable. Anybody ever like wait forever to get something? You're like, oh, I can't wait. And when I finally get that, I will finally be happy. And then you realize you got the thing and now you gotta clean the thing and maintain the thing and pay for the thing and support the thing and produce the thing. Ah, ah. And before you know, you are a slave to that thing that you thought would serve you. That's what idols promise. Idols promise that they are gonna serve you, but they actually enslave you. God. The devil has you thinking he's gonna enslave you, but he's actually gonna serve you. And that is how the Thessalonians believed. You turned from idols to God, to serve God, and to wait for his son from heaven who saves us from the wrath to come. I'm, I'm vertically focused. I'm waiting for Jesus to come back. I want Jesus to come back. And, and, and I don't care when it happens. Some of you single people are like, oh, please, Jesus, don't come back until I'm married. Please, just let me find, man, talk to some married people and find out. Yeah, you can come back anytime. I'm good with that. <laughs> you could have come back before we got married. It's okay now. Watch out for being horizontally obsessed. Now, 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 the sermon in the sentence, I want you to write this down, then I'm going to share a story, and then we're going to close. A true church is visibly active in the faith, verified by others, and vertically focused in life. Three Vs. Visibly active, people see it verified by others, people say it, and vertically focused. You're, you're heaven focused, not earth focused. Okay. Now some of you are listening to me right now and you're like, I don't like this message. Because that's not me. And I got all these other things going on. I don't really know if I want to believe all this stuff. You know, honestly, I don't, I can't change this about me. And I want to tell you something. That's the best thing you could possibly say. You're right. You can't change it. You can't change you. You can't change you. So I got a story about an old, an old famous painter. It might be a fable. It might be true. I don't know. Old famous painters walking by storefront shop used items and he stopped in his tracks because a picture in the window caught his attention and he recognized it immediately as he saw it. It was one of his first earliest paintings. He's a world-renowned painter with paintings and works of art in museums around the world. But for whatever reason, the person in that shop didn't know who he was and had his painting there for sale in the window. And the frame was cracked and the painting was a little bit smudged and kind of gnarled and it was dusty and old and had been mistreated for years but it was his creation. So he said, I know what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get that done. I'm gonna, I'm gonna purchase it. But he had to go in. Before he could fix it, he had to purchase it. Even though it was his creation, he had to pull the money out of his pocket. He had to go to the cash register and pay for his own painting. And once he, paid, once he paid for it, he could bring it home and put it on a pedestal and fix the frame and brush up the messed up paint and sign his name, clean it up, and put it on display once again. Ladies and gentlemen, that is what God has done for you in Christ. 
That's what he's been doing since he rose again on the third day. He's been purchasing people back to God. They were made by him. You were made by God, but you were sold out. Not by you. By your great ancestor, Adam. He sold you out. He followed Satan instead of God. And the scripture says because of his sin, we're all in sin. We're all enslaved to sin. We're all bound to this old flesh, this old gnarly nature, and we're following the spirits of this world, and we're following the prince of the power of the air, and we just follow the crowd. The reason why people follow the crowd is because they belong to the crowd. But what God has been doing in Christ Jesus since 2,000 years ago is he's been purchasing people. He's been plucking people through his precious blood out of that, out of that lifestyle, out of that, out of that, uh, that, that menagerie of people that just say, I'm bringing you out and I'm making you my own. And scripture says he purchased us. He paid for us with his blood and he purchased us back to God so that he could clean us up and fix our frame, wash us up, fix the paint and sign his name because he knows you can't change you. But if you surrender your life to him, he'll do it through the Holy Spirit inside you.